Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. The stories may change, uh, the situations may change, different passages may have, but it's the same central story over and over and over again. God loves you, He's made a powerful relationship with you, and He's calling you, asking you to walk with Him and experience all that life can be if you'll follow Him. It's just the truth. What is truth? Pilate asked that question of Jesus in John chapter 18, just before he sent Jesus out to be crucified. The search for truth has been written about by philosophers and poets and theologians for centuries. But it appears that we live in a culture today that does not put as much emphasis on truth, or at least not absolute truth. There's something to this idea that the culture is is being inundated with, that truth is this flexible thing. And Peter says it's not flexible at all. You abide by it or you suffer the consequences as a result of that. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens. Today as we continue our series Building on the Basics, we come to the end of the first chapter of Peter's second letter to followers of Jesus. Peter takes the opportunity to emphasize what is truth and why it's important. As I mentioned a moment ago, our culture today seems to be moving steadily toward a position of relative truth. In other words, truth is what each person thinks it is or wants it to be. The end goal is to create a culture where there is no right and wrong. Each person is free to live however they choose, with no one having the right to say that they are wrong. Because with relative truth, no one is wrong. That's the world in which we live. And, it's, and it is more and more, it is being inundated into our culture and into our society. You're seeing it more and more and more. This idea, well, you know, kind of truth, eh, maybe not, you know, it doesn't, uh, I believe mine or I mean, whatever. And, As you probably know, God's Word has something very different to say about truth and where to find it. Thanks for joining us today for this important study. Now, here's Pastor Clay. Hey, some of you old people. (laughs) Y'all remember remember that show called Truth or Consequences? See, y'all are old. Oh, Steve, Steve Pierce is back there going like, what? That's only because he was in, from South Africa, so they probably didn't have it down there. Truth or Consequences. Y'all, some of y'all remember that show, Truth or Consequences? It's probably still on TV land or something, you know? It's, uh, uh, you had three people that came on the show who all espoused to be the same person. You know, hi, I'm Fred Smith. Hi, I'm Fred Smith. Hi, I'm Fred Smith. And then, then one person was the contestant, and they had to ask them questions and figure out who was telling the truth and who was lying. That was the idea. Truth or consequences? Truth or consequences? I, I thought, uh, this, I was looking at, looked at a video real quick last night, and I thought, well, maybe a great way to start this, uh, this message would be that the, the courtroom scene uh, where uh, Tom Cruise's uh, character is... Uh, is is asking questions to uh, Colonel Jessup, uh, Jack Nicholson's character, and uh, and you know there's a, there's this, this powerful scene where he says uh, you know you want the truth, and he says I, I deserve the truth. You can't. And anyway, he gets to the place where he says you can't handle the truth. You remember? I was going to show that, and then I thought, oh, there's some bad words in there. I probably better not. Probably better not show. There were some bad. Words and so it's a powerful thing Nicholson delivers in there, but it's not G-rated. So uh, you can't handle the truth. Can y'all handle the truth? 
Open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through the end of the chapter. <laughs> y'all are awesome. I, I appreciate y'all so much, truly. You're awesome. Hey, uh, bring somebody with you to share, so they can share in your awesomeness. They can just be, be around you, would be, encourage you to bring somebody. Uh, Resurrection Sunday is just around the corner uh, have, you, have you reached out to somebody? Have you tried to invite somebody yet? Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a co-worker. Somebody that doesn't, I mean, no, don't go recruit them from another church. Um, but, but if they don't go to church anywhere, and if you say, well, I don't know if they go to another church or not, here's a great way to solve that. Ask, that's right, Joe. Ask them. Hey, do you go to church anywhere? What's the worst going to happen? <laughs> no, no. Hey, y'all giving out any iVite cards lately? Come on. You got those iVite cards? Lori Alexander's got a great story about giving one out where the, the girl went, almost went postal on her. No, it wasn't that bad, but, but she did, did, didn't go well. She didn't receive the card. You know what? That happens. And I, and I was telling Lori uh, that uh, probably 99% of the cards I've given out over the years, I, I get a, a positive response where the person either says, well, thanks, or I'm looking for a church, or, you know, they're polite and they take it. It's not... It's just a matter of how am I going to engage the world around it. That's, that's all that card is designed to do, folks. It's, it's designed to kind of spur us on to say, oh, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm looking at people around me. Where are they going to spend eternity? How can I, you know, can I at least give them a card? The worst they can say is no thanks. And I, I can tell you from experience, you're not hurt at all when they say that. You're all right. You can go out to your car and drive away. All right. Where are we? Second Peter. Chapter 1. What verse? All right. Good job. Listen to you. <laughs> Jennifer's like, please, to the end of the chapter. Right? Verse 12. Here we go. Listen now. And we're gonna, we're fill, we'll fill in. I know we're jumping in the middle of the chapter. Uh, literally, but watch this. Therefore, I will always be ready. It's Peter writing to the churches. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. He, he's writing to believers. People, he's assuming people are believers, people have made a profession of faith. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, uh, uh, such, an utterance, uh, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. You pray with me this morning. Father, 
uh, today to look at the last part of chapter 1 of Second Peter, uh, his last letter, the last uh, record we have of, uh, of Peter uh, teaching the church. I pray that you uh, would uh, just use me for your uh, purposes. Uh, Peter's making it clear this 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 prophetic word. Uh, it, it's 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 not uh, it's not something that ought to be my idea or something that I think is best or how how it fits my uh, situation. No, this is this is different. This is your word. All of it from Genesis to Revelation is your word. It is truth without any mixture of error. And I need it in my life. I think everybody in here needs it, but I, I can speak for myself and I say I need it in my life. I need fuel for each day. I need the power because in my own strength, I am a very uh, weak man. So help me to remember uh, the power that is in your word in this truth as we discuss truth today and what Peter has to say about it as he's closing out uh, this, uh, this first part of the, his second uh, letter. God, thanks again for these people. Open all of our hearts and minds uh, to receive the truth of your word. And may we be unashamed to respond however you say today. God, when we get to the end of this service or in the middle of this, whatever point you're speaking to somebody and they need to respond, God, cause them to make a decision with you that, uh, that will honor and glorify you and change their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, and amen. Sometimes preachers say that, don't they? Amen, amen, and amen. <laughs> I've heard preachers say that. Okay, look, now listen. This is important. Watch this. Here, here we go. Here's where he goes. Here's, where, here's, here's some ideas that Peter has to say as, uh, the, about this idea of truth. And here's how he starts. He says, you know it. You know it. It's an important truth. Verse 12, first word of verse 12 in the English translation is what? Look at it. If you have your Bibles open, therefore, therefore, would y'all say that with me? Therefore, one of the basic rules of interpretation, some of you know this, one of the basic rules of interpretation is to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? Kind of helps you establish the context of the verse, right? The passage and where it's going. And so anytime you see a therefore, it it would not be uh, inappropriate. In fact, it would be quite appropriate to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Would y'all ask that out loud with me, please? What is the therefore, therefore? I'm glad y'all asked. I'm going to tell you. Actually, Peter's going to tell you. I'm just his mouthpiece today. I, what is the therefore, therefore? What's the purpose of it? Peter says, as a result of, or, or where he's going is, therefore, as a result of, All of those things that I just talked to you about in verses 1 through 11. Y'all remember that? If y'all were with us over the last couple of weeks, we discussed those things. And Peter goes into this, this, this thing that God, these things that God provides for us. Remember, God provides his grace, which gives us salvation. And along with that uh, salvation comes his power. To work in our, in our hearts and in our lives, work, work in our life situations that, that God says, this is what I'll provide for you. I'll, I'll give you my grace, I'll give you my salvation, I'll give you my power, and I'll give you my promises. And he gives these promises. And the promises were, if you're with us, you remember, he says, he says the, the very nature of God to, to come and dwell within you. The spirit of God who comes to dwell within you. So that suddenly, it's not just clay trying to decide whether he's going to do the right thing or not. 
But now the Spirit of God can impress upon me and draw me and move me and, and, and cause me to make decisions that would be honoring to God instead of the decision Clay might make, which would probably be dishonoring to God. Can I get an amen? We're just going to amen a bunch today probably. And he says, I'm going to give you uh, my nature, which then, as a result of that nature being in you, I'm also promising to you freedom. In the context, freedom from sin. Y'all remember that? A couple weeks ago, freedom from sin. Freedom from the penalty of sin. You understand if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are no longer under the penalty of sin? Do you understand that? Truly, to truly be set free from the penalty of sin? All of us will stand before God someday, and there's some accounting that we have to do, but if you've trusted Christ, genuinely trusted Christ, your Savior, if He's your Lord and Savior, you will never stand and give an account for your sin because it was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago, and it's been paid for. Setting us free from the penalty of sin, setting us free from the power of sin over our lives so that while we're not perfect... God can work in me so that maybe one thing that used to be a strong temptation for me, now God has kind of, kind of through his power, has kind of removed that out of my life. And so now, not, we always have to be careful, but you understand what I'm saying? The, God gives us power over sin in our lives. And then finally, ultimately, praise God, someday, freedom from the very presence of sin in our lives. The, to, to, to no more be in the presence of sin. It is amazing. Amazing. So, he says, because of all of that, because of all of that. And then, last week, when he says, that's what, I, that's what God gives you. Here's what God expects of you. And we list it, Peter listed eight things there. And they're up on the screen. Do you remember these? Diligence, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. You could probably say it different ways or whether it's totally an exhaustive list or not or whatever. All, it's not the point. The point is that, that, that those those things ought to be present in our lives. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, there ought to be diligence. There ought to be moral excellence. There ought to be knowledge, self-control. Yada, yada, yada. I don't mean yada, yada, yada like it's not important. I mean yada, yada, yada like you get the point. So he lists these eight things. And then, and then he, I, I'm still blown away by this statement in verse 8. I'm sure I've read it many times, but it just freshly grabbed me in verse 8 where he said this. He says, for if these qualities, those things, those eight things he listed if these qualities are yours and are increasing what were we just talking about this this spiritual journey this growing this becoming more christ-like if these qualities are yours and are increasing they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our lord jesus christ it says a couple things to me about our, our productiveness, our, our purpose in life, and knowing that we have purpose in life. But also says that, that Peter's saying that, this is, that if those things are evident in your life, it is evidence that you, you get the true knowledge of Jesus, that you really understand who he is, what he's done, and what that means for your life. Uh, verse 12. Therefore... Because of what God gives to you, because of what God, how you join God in this partnership of, of making you a more uh, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of that, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things. I'm going I'm 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 to teach you this. It's important. Even though, last part of verse 12, you notice what he said? Look what he says. Even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present in you, with you. Well, well, why would Peter 
go to the trouble of teaching us something that he says we already know. He admits we already know it. So what, what, what's up? Because it's that important. It's that important, ladies and gentlemen. Peter says, listen, this truth is so important. I'm going to teach it to you, and I'm going to teach it to you again, and I'm going to teach it to you again, and I'm going to teach it to you again, and I'm going to teach it to you again. I'm going to remind you of it. I'm going to be redundant in my reminders of it to you. So the only question ends up being, are you going to, be, are you going to respond to my redundant reminders? I'm going to keep teaching you this. And Peter indicates there, I think along in verse 15 or so, that he, God has revealed to him that his time is drawing to a rapid close, that he's not going to be around much longer. And so he feels this sense of urgency, but rather than go off into whatever else to teach, he says, this is what I'm going to teach you. I've already taught it to you. You already know it, but I'm going to teach, teach it to you and teach it to you and teach it to you because it's that important for your life. You have to know this. It's an important truth that we have in our lives. You got to know this stuff. You got you to have it in your life. And here's why Peter says, he says, I'm going to be diligent Here's what he says, that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. I'm not going to be here much longer, but once I'm gone, I, I want you to be able to say, what, what was it? What was it Peter said we, when this came up or we got in this situation or we, feel, or we feel like we're failing at this? What was it Peter said? And be able to call. He said, I'm going to teach it to you so much that, that you're going to be able to call it, call it to mind. Peter's my hero. Peter, Peter is my, is my hero because I'm just, I'm being honest with you as I can be. There are times when I feel like I teach, I'm teaching people the same thing over and over and over and over again. And it turns out that's what I'm supposed to do. It turns out that's, that's what I'm supposed to do, to teach you the truth of God's word over and over and over again. So that whether I'm here or whether I'm not here, you get it, you understand it, you, you have this sure uh, more sure word implanted within you. It's what you're supposed to know. You know, the, the word of God is an amazing thing. You can read it a thousand times and God can reveal something fresh and new to you tomorrow when you read it again. Or apply it to some new situation or something in your life. It is poetic. It is prophetic. It is powerful. It requires diligence and discipline in our lives to to study and to know it but here's the thing here's here's one of the paradoxes of god's word for all of its detail the gospel message is really a very simple message it's told in different ways it's told by different authors it's told in different life situations and circumstances over different periods of time but there's basically a general message coming over again and again and again that God is saying to us in in his word that is truth and really it can be summed up in in what is my my life verse or verse or verses Ecclesiastes chapter 12 uh, we find this the conclusion when all has been heard is Whenever, you know, you've, you've done it all. And, and believe me, Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, is a guy that had seen it all, done it all. He says, the conclusion, when all has been heard is, fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Here's the conclusion, y'all. He probably didn't say y'all, but here's the conclusion, y'all. 
When all has been said, when all has been heard, when everything's said and done, here's what matters. Fear God and keep his commandments. Some of you, I think you probably have a pretty good idea what, what that idea of fear means. A little bit of mixture of several things, maybe. And keep for this apply. Listen, isn't that essentially the same thing Peter is saying? Isn't he talking about these things that ought to be built into your life and, 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 and that there's this judgment coming, at this day coming at the end? Isn't that, same, isn't that essentially the same thing the Apostle Paul says in his various letters to the various churches? Doesn't he say these things over and over? Isn't that essentially the same thing Jesus said in his teachings as he walked on the earth? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Old Testament, New Testament, major prophets, minor prophets, gospels, general epistles, Pauline, all the different parts. It's all essentially saying this same thing truth to us that God is that God is God that you are not God that he loves you so much that he was willing to die for you so that you can have a relationship with him so you can be adopted into the family of God he is holy he is other unlike anything else he hates sin and and the corruption and the and the damage that it brings to to his creation and he made it possible, and then draws us out so that we can come out of a life of our own choosing and live the life that he chooses for us, a life that is, that is holy, not perfect, but is set apart, that brings peace and purpose and contentment, and all those things to our lives. It's the same message that he keeps repeating over and over and over and over again. This is for your good because it's that important. And Peter says, I don't, I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to keep saying it, and I'm going to keep saying it. It's the truth, and you know it. Uh, I mentioned last week that uh, when Cindy and I were in Florida, we had, uh, we had dinner one night with some family and some old friends and stuff, and we were sitting around, and we were talking about some of the uh, teachings that our pastor that, that we grew up under in Christ, that we were adults, but we grew up under uh, in Christ, some, some of his teachings and some of his sayings that, uh, that he had, and how they have impacted our lives through the years. Uh, Dick Whipple was his name. Uh, Pastor Whipple is 92 years old now. His wife uh, recently, uh, just recently, very recently passed away. And quite honestly, he, he's not going to be here uh, much longer. He's not in great health. And, and, and he's not going to be here much longer. But, but when we were sitting around, we were talking about some of the things. And it's amazing to be able to even just to, to verbatim, to be able to quote some things that he said to us and how, how he said it and how those truths are still impacting our lives even after he's gone. He's been out of the pulpit now for 10, 15 years or more. I don't know. But how those truths keep affecting our lives. Can I tell you something? One of the things that I... I think one of the things that God taught me through my uh, accident a year and a half ago is that life is a very precarious thing. It is fragile. And it can be taken from you at any moment, at any second. Pastor Whipple used to say, your heart beats and waits for permission from God to beat again. I mean, it's, it's right. life is just a short, fragile, precarious thing. Peter says, I, I'm about to leave. I'm not going to be here long. And, and so I'm going to teach you this truth because it's so important for your life that you know this. If I sound redundant from time to time, if it sounds like, eh, it seems like Mr. Broken Record up there. I'm sorry, but apparently that's what I'm supposed to do. The stories may change. Uh, the situations may change. Different passages may differ, But it's the same central story over and over and over again. God loves you. He's, he's made a possible relationship with you and he's calling you, asking you to walk with him and experience all that life can be if you'll follow him. It's just the truth. It's important. Here's the second uh, idea this morning that he talks about. 
Peter goes on with this truth and he says, I saw it. It's a believable truth. Uh, Peter tells us what, what we should believe, and then he tells us why we should believe it. In verse uh, 16, look what he says. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were, watch this, eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter says, here's why you can believe it. We saw it. We were eyewitnesses of it. We were, we were there when it happened. And, and, and you can know that it's truth. In other words, Peter says, hey... <laughs> We weren't, we weren't just a group of vagabond guys sitting around one day thinking and saying, listen, the whole fishing thing, that's really not going too well. Fish aren't running very well. Carpentry, whatever all they're into. I got it. Let's become writers. Those guys, some of those guys make a lot of money at it. But we, we didn't, Peter said, we didn't just sit around one day and just write out some elaborate story because we had nothing to better to do. And quite honestly, and I think Peter would be the first to say this, quite honestly, we're just not that bright to come up with that kind of, that kind of story, this kind of, of story. No, he says, listen, we were there. We saw it. We were eyewitnesses to this thing. So, any of you guys that watch some of the shows like History Channel or something like that, or it can be a lot of different channels, but like the History Channel, uh, I'm I interested in that. I like that kind of stuff. And it's always interesting to hear historical events and all that kind of stuff. But when the History Channel has people that were there or whatever, you know what I'm saying? When you hear soldiers that were there storming the beaches at Normandy and you hear them talk about the, the hail of gunfire as they're storming, taking that beach, There's something about that that just grips you and you just, you know that it's truth because those guys have lived it. They've been there. They've seen it. They've experienced it. Peter says, we were there. We saw it. We we heard it. And he specifically mentions a particular instance uh, in the gospel accounts. It's known as the transfiguration. Some of you have heard of it or you you know what it is, the transfiguration. You see, what had happened in in, in, uh, Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus was asking his disciples, you know, who do people say that I am? And they're saying, well, some people say this, some people say that. And then he turns the question to them and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, who is always quick, Peter's never a guy that's short on words. Uh, I'll I'll prove that to you in just a second. Uh, But Peter jumps right in. He says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And of course, Jesus commends him for it because it's accurate, it's right. But perhaps Peter, I mean, he spoke theologically correct, but perhaps Peter didn't actually know really what that meant when he, said that because just a short time later, Jesus takes them uh, to this event, what's called the Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17, and it says this. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, uh, here's Peter jumping in. Magnificent scene. Jesus, you know, he's seeing him in his glory. There's Moses, Elijah, they show up. That's pretty cool. Peter jumps in. Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. 
Watch this. While he was still speaking, Peter talked so much, God Almighty had to interrupt him. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. By the way, did you notice? Did you notice Peter didn't put that part in the quote? He didn't put listen to him. I think he probably, he probably was still stinging from that one. Because it's like, it's, like God, God, it's like God saying, Peter, Peter, shh, listen to Jesus. And so, and so Peter, Peter says, we were there. We were there. We saw this. We heard this. We were eyewitnesses of this very thing. We know he's God. Eyewitnesses can lie. Eyewitnesses can, can, can tell a lie and, and, and change the truth. Yes, they can. Absolutely. We've all heard of accounts. We've all seen stories. We know that witnesses can lie. But never without a motive. Never Without a motive. If someone is called to witness, because still today, eyewitness testimony in a court of law is one of the, one of the if not the greatest pieces of evidence that is still available today, is the eyewitness testimony. A person will lie, but the question is, why would they lie? For instance, a mother might lie and say that her son was home all night, even though she knows that he wasn't, because she can't stand the thought of him going to prison for years for a crime that he's committed. So a mother might lie. A person might lie uh, because, because uh, of uh, financial gain or because of threat. In The Godfather Part 2, Frank Pangigelli lies to a Senate committee uh, about Mark, Michael Corleone's uh, workings, uh, business interests. He does it to, to make sure because his family is going to be protected and provided for. So he lies. People might lie but always with a motive. Well, now let's see. What would be Peter and the other disciples' motive for lying about this whole thing? Did they lie because uh, their lives were being threatened, so they had to lie? No, their lives were being threatened because of what they were saying about Jesus Christ. Well, maybe they lied for uh, financial or material gain. No, every single one of them lost virtually everything as a result of their following Jesus Christ. Virtually every single one of them were beaten, were imprisoned, some were tortured, and all eventually killed, or John supposedly died of old age, but died for their belief in Jesus Christ. Every single one of them, every single one of them told the same story from different perspectives, right? That's, that can happen in an automobile accident. Different, from different perspectives. But the story was always the same. It never changed. Through imprisonment, through beatings, through torture, through, through threats of death and eventually through death, not a single one of them, not a single one of them ever recanted their, their testimony. Not a one. Now that, think about this now. Let's think rationally about this. That either, either makes every one of them mad, insane, simultaneously insane, or it makes all of them truth-tellers. Peter says, you can believe this because we are eyewitnesses of it. We saw it. We know that it's true. Listen, you can bank that, folks, for your life. Sometimes you see, I've seen, time to, I don't get on Facebook very often, but time to time I get on Facebook and I see somebody, maybe one of y'all put something out, some spiritual thing out, and you, you probably got some friend or coworker that's not a believer and they slam you or they, I've seen some of those. 
but you can stand. That's what Peter's saying. He says, you can stand on this because it's absolute truth. You can, it's the truth. That's why you can believe it. That's why you can, that's why you can build your life on it. Because we were there. Because we saw it. And as a result of that, you can trust it. We heard it with our own ears. We saw it with our own eyes. We, we walked with our own feet beside Jesus. So we're eyewitnesses of it. And then uh, one, one more truth about the truth. He said, God said it. So it's a settled truth. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit, Spirit broke from, spoke from God. Let me break this down the way, the way it came, the way I see it. First, about this settled truth, we need it. We need this truth. You would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. I was wondering, have any of y'all ever been in a, in a dark place? I mean, like a dark room, maybe a cave or something like that. I mean, I mean, can't see the hand in front of your face dark. You ever been in a situation like that? And maybe, especially if it were an unfamiliar situation, you know, you know maybe you'd get used to your room or something. But you know what I'm saying? Have you ever been in a place where it was so dark that the fear would almost, was almost paralytic? It would all, you afraid to, I don't, can, what, what, direct, can I, that kind of dark? You ever been in, in that dark a place? Now let me ask you a question. Have any of you ever been in a dark place in your life? Maybe not physically dark. That's not what I'm talking about now. You ever been in a dark place in your life? You ever been in a place in your life where, where you, just, you just couldn't see your way through it? You couldn't see your way around it? You couldn't see your way out of it? it maybe it's a tragedy. Maybe it's a circumstance. Maybe it's an adversity. Maybe it's a, a, a betrayal. Maybe it's a, but, but it's just, just dark. Just dark and you can't see. You know what I'm saying? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever been in a place like that? And Peter says, you can trust this truth like a lamp that will guide you out of it. Anybody that's ever been in darkness like that knows the importance of, of light, of a lamp, of something that will illuminate to show you your way out of it, through it, over it. In your life, in your life, in those dark places in your life, whatever the circumstance might be, Peter says, you do well to pay attention to the truth of God. Because that's the only thing that will guide you. And if not, without it, without it, without it, I'm telling you, you're just stumbling around in the dark. And I, y'all know it, y'all could probably name some people, but I'm telling you, I, I, I can name, I've seen, that's what I find most people doing in their lives. I find most people stumbling around in the dark, stumbling from one relationship to the next, stumbling from one job to the next, stumbling from one disaster to the next, stumbling from one mess to the next, stumbling from one crisis to the next, hoping above, uh, beyond all hope that somehow in some way they'll find their way through the door, they'll find their way out of it, and somehow everything's going to turn out okay in their life. But it never does. I'm telling you, it never does. Not without the light of God's truth guiding us. We, we, need, we really need this in their life. And if you don't, if you're not Taking in God's word, you do so at your own peril. We need it. Second, we can't change it. We can't change it. Now, look, look what he says. He says, uh, verse 20, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Now, first off, uh, contextually, Peter is talking about the, the writer, the author of the book. That, that, that they didn't, in other words, Peter just didn't, well, I, let's see. I, I think I'll write about, uh, 
Oh, let's write about lying. And Paul didn't write what he thought, you know, was best for him to write. And Moses didn't write what fit best into his belief system. Peter said, no, that, that's not how it works. That's not, that's not how this came to be. That, that, no prophecy, no prophecy. And that just simply means, that doesn't necessarily mean I predict that you're going to go to McDonald's after you leave here today. I don't, it's not that. It, it, he's talking about the whole thing. No prophecy, no, no recorded word of God came about as a result of one's own interpretation. But to apply it to our own lives, neither do we have the right to interpret it within our own context to apply to what our particular life situation is if it alters the meaning that God intended for the meaning to be. Our culture can't change it. You can't change it to, based on your life situation. Certainly, uh, contextual uh, Items may need to be considered in, 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 the, in the proper interpretation of a text. But what God meant it to mean is what it meant. And you and I, nor anybody else, has the right to change it. It is what, Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Um, this, this was years ago. But I knew this guy that was uh, in ministry. He was, a, he was a worship leader. had a fantastic voice. He was a worship leader. You know how those guys can be. But anyway, he was... Uh, he was... He, he, he was very gifted, and uh, he, used to, he used to travel and did music with evangelists and very prominent evangelists and all that kind of stuff. He, uh, he met another woman, uh, decided he fell in love with her, and he, he separated from his wife. He filed for divorce from his wife and had every intention of staying in ministry and just going right on with his life. When he was confronted by a friend about his sin, this is what he said. He said, well... He said, in, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He quoted it correctly. So, the man said, since uh, Jesus said that even lusting after a woman was adultery, well, it didn't take long after I met this woman for me to lust after her. And since the Bible recognizes adultery as a as a justifiable means for divorce i've committed adultery because i've lusted after this woman so i am therefore free to divorce my wife and marry this other woman y'all y'all seen the commercial where the purple heads like explode it's like what what that's taking the word of god and twisting it in such a way that it fits into your life choices. And we, we don't have the right to do that. We don't have the right to do that. Let me just tell you. Anytime somebody says something like, well, I, I just kind of feel like, for me, this text means be careful. There may be specific application to all of our lives from specific situations, but it only means what God says it means. And that's the only thing that matters. The only thing that matters is God's interpretation of the text. You understand what I'm saying? So we, 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 can't, we, we can't change it. We need it. We can't change it. And uh, what's the last one? Uh, we didn't write it, which is the reason for the, the second one. That, that last right there in verse, last part of verse 21. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 
That's why we can't, we can't change. We don't have a right to change. We don't have a right to interpret it the way we want to because God oversaw the writing of the text. Now listen, that doesn't mean that all of these writers, Peter or Paul or Moses or uh, Isaiah or whoever, doesn't mean that they like, you know, we're like in a trance and they're just, uh, I don't believe in that. There are some people that believe in what's called the dictation theory, that they just, you know, God, you know, supernaturally just said everything and they were blank canvases. no. You can, you can find evidence that God used the personalities, the individual personalities of the writer. He used their educational level. He used their wit. Uh, he used a lot of different things. But he oversaw, the Holy Spirit oversaw their writing in a, in, a, in a unique way. There may be times in our lives where you may say something or I may say something or, or somebody may give a point and we say, man, that was, that was, just, that was God-inspired. And, th- and there may be genuine truth in that, but it's not the same as this God-inspired, Okay. That no, no, God oversaw it in such a way to make sure that got written, what was written was exactly what he wanted recorded. And it was recorded without any mixture of error. Listen, I, I'm fixing to bring this thing to a close. But we, we live and we just do. It's the world in which we live. I teach you this a lot. But we live in a culture that, that forget, has, that has untied from the moorings. They tore down the moorings. If you're a boat lover, you understand what that means. There's no, there's, no, there's no set. There's no anchor. We live in a culture where everyone, where the belief system is that everyone has the, has the right to believe what they want to believe, to have the truth that they want their truth to be, and that truth is, is completely up to them. And you, your truth may and probably is different from their truth, but you have no right to say their truth is wrong. They have no right to say your truth is wrong. Anybody's truth is everybody's truth is all this mixture of truth and, and, and you know, what is not truth. That, that's the world in which we live. Would y'all argue with that? I'm telling you, that's the world in which we live. And, and it is more and more, and it's being, it's being uh, inundated into our culture and into our society. You're, you're seeing it more and more and more. This idea, well, you know, kind of, truth and eh, maybe not you know it doesn't uh, i believe mine or i mean whatever and let me give you an example this is in no way intended to be political or political statement but when uh president clinton in the 90s uh when it was discovered that he'd had an affair with an intern in the white house and he was confronted about it some of you that are around then re- now remember his now famous or infamous response to that when asked about it you remember his response it depends on what the definition of is, is. In other words, truth is, a, is on a sliding scale. I can make truth what I want it to be. You can make truth what you want it to be. And listen, y'all gonna think I'm crazy, all right? You're gonna think I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, it's affecting a lot of different areas of life, including it's creeping into the realm of, of sports and athletics and, and this whole idea of, you know, well, it's not really about who, who wins or loses. It's about who, y'all gonna think I'm crazy, but have y'all seen this commercial? One of my favorite commercials on TV. Y'all seen this commercial? Let me see that. Participation trophy. But we, we won every game. Why do we get the same trophy as all those teams we beat? Are we going to start ending games with hugs instead of handshakes? No. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. There you go, champ. Right, now y'all think I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, there is an underlying current of message in that, in, in, in what that commercial is dealing with. And that is, you know, you know, it really doesn't matter who wins or loses. But listen, somebody won and somebody lost. 
One team won and one team lost. I knew that when I played sports and it didn't warp me or anything. My high school team won, basketball team I was on, we won one game all year. And it didn't affect me at all. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just saying, there's somewhere in there, there's this idea that, well, yeah, you know, it's, it's, we're all, you know, it's okay, it's all right. Have y'all, have y'all, have y'all seen, did y'all see this, uh, uh, this post that went viral on social network after mom posted her child's uh, test paper that she got back uh, from school? Now, I'm not trying to stir anything up here, but have y'all seen this? Russell Hill sent this to me, so put it on him. <laughs> listen, now, listen to what it says. Now, Carol read 28 pages of a book on Monday and 103 pages on Tuesday. Is 75 pages, notice the language, a reasonable answer for how many more pages Carol read on Tuesday than on Monday? And explain your answer. So this, this lady's daughter responds, yes, 75 is a reasonable answer because 103 minus 28 is 75. Do you see it? They marked off. She got one point off because she got the answer exactly right. They marked off because she didn't estimate. What she should have done, since it was 103, she should have just said 100. And since it was 75, she should have just said or 30. And, and it comes out at 70. Just, just be near, just somewhere around. That is the world that we live in today. I'm telling you, morally, academically, historically, it's all shifting. It's all changing. And, and listen, I know it's, it's, and I'm sure somebody will come up to me and say, well, Clay, because I read this article where this guy blasted this mom because she's like, I cannot even believe this. And some guy said, well, you just don't understand. They're trying to teach her the ability to round, to, uh, just to round off or to speculate. I'm sure somebody's going to come up to me afterwards and say that I'm wrong. But I'm just telling you that there's something to this idea that the culture is, is being inundated with that that truth is, is this flexible thing. Maybe that's a good truth. is this flexible thing. And Peter says it's not flexible at all. It's truth. And you, you abide by it. You, you apply it to your life. Or, and he was very clear about this, or you suffer the consequences as a result of that. I, I mentioned earlier, Peter mentions that, that he's not long for this world. He, he's going to be, God's revealed to him that he's going to be leaving soon. Um. We don't have a biblical record of this, but it has tradition of the church has been passed down that uh, it was ordered that Peter was, his execution was to be by crucifixion. When Peter found out that he was to be crucified, listen, he felt so unworthy to die in the same manner that his Savior had died that he asked to be crucified upside down. And the church historically says that that's exactly what happened. Peter says, I'm not going to be here long. I'm going to teach you this truth because this is what is important for your life. This is what you've got to apply. This is what has to be the authority. This is what has to shape. This is intended to be political. How you vote this week and in the general election must, must, must be shaped by this. First and foremost. You may have your other issues, things you think, but but a Christian worldview, a secular worldview... Uh, whatever worldview, it's shaped by what you believe. If you believe this, then this must shape. That's all I'm saying. Who you vote for, that, that's, that's between you and God. But I'm telling you that it has to, be, has to start and end with, with the Word of God. How does the candidate line up? They're certainly not all Christians. Uh, hopefully some of them, I, whatever. I'm just saying the positions they put forward uh, on more, uh, 
particularly on moral issues, where do they, where do they stand? That's a, that's, that reveals to you something. So when you go out and vote this week, uh, do so based on, on what God says because it has to shape your life. It has to be the authority of your life. Let me ask you this, then I'll, I'll close. Is the Word of God the authority of your life? Well, as we just heard Pastor Clay say, God's truth is absolute, and He gives it to us to guide us through all that life can be. It's important. It isn't open to debate. We can't interpret God's truth to fit what we want. The call is to submit to His truth, live in it, and experience the freedom and joy that comes from knowing and acting on God's truth. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. A new church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.